Welcome to Coast to Coast, an NBA podcast by the fans, for the fans. My name is Chris, and hosting with me is my guy, Ronan. Tune in every week as we dive into the hottest content and emerging rumors across the league. Dodgers pulls off three-pointer. Don't miss a beat. Whether it's a star on the move or the Knicks acquiring another forward, we got you covered. Zion for four for four! Welcome to the NBA! The game is constantly evolving, and whether it's by the eye test or advanced stats, we'll give you the analysis you need to take your fandom to the next level. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Sit back and relax. Coast to Coast starts now. What's up, everybody? Happy New Year. Welcome back to another episode here of Coast to Coast. Ronan, my man, it's good to see you. It feels like almost a year since I've seen you, it seems. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. We're, we're in 2022 now, and uh, the most important thing is basketball is still as hot as ever. Well, how, how was New Year's, man? Are you happy to be in a new year? Things, things looking up? Things looking uh, COVID, rather? Yeah, things are looking like COVID, but uh, I think uh, the way uh, 2021 uh, finished from uh, the playoffs that the Knicks went through last year and the, the start of the season this year, I think uh, I'm happy 2022 is here. <laughs> <laughs> well, on to 2022. I think what we're going to do here is we got to talk some recent things, a lot of new beginnings, um, like Kyrie beginning his first game here as a net in this season. Um, we got to talk about some teams also that have not gotten enough shine in 2021. So what better way to start off 2022, but talk about a few of our, our favorite teams, but, um, we got to talk some Kyrie. We, we've only had some annoying non-basketball COVID discussions and vaccination and stuff, stuff that like really don't belong here. So we haven't had the chance to talk real Kyrie, but now we do. And for his first game back, I, I, I don't know what Russ should look like for any of these three, but I, I certainly didn't see it throughout the entire game. And no, he looked like he had maybe just been out for about a week or two with an injury. <laughs> and that, that was about it. I mean, he was same old Kyrie. I mean, he when we're watching him play just kind of made me forget about why I was so pissed at him for, for all his <laughs> weird vaccination stuff. And just reminded me why I love watching uh, Kyrie Irving play basketball. It was he, 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 his, his performance was needed for the Nets to, to, to get the win over Indiana. And although he was outshone by Lance Stevenson's return in the, in the first quarter, other than that, it, it, Kyrie kind of, uh, kind of took over them. Yeah. That, that was what really mattered, right? Like Lance Stevenson turning back time and looking like the Pacers start, that was the best quarter in Pacers history. Yeah, and crazy. he scored 20 points in six minutes. And that 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 has to be up there in one of the fastest starts in NBA history. And obviously, did didn't go much further by, by the end of the game. But um, <laughs> I wonder if they're going to keep him. You know, the, the Pacers have needed some character, some some flash. But maybe Lance is that's all they really needed to to get back on track. Hey, if he's maybe not winning games. Brooklyn, I mean, come on. <laughs> It's kind of scary to think he's still only thirty-one. So I mean, it, it, he's kind of almost worth taking a taking a shot on for for the for the rest of the year, really. 
Yeah. And that's been the cool part of this year, right? Like you get to see a lot of guys get a second chance, get a first chance even. Um, and that's resulted in a lot of guys getting some roster spots, but, um, but Kyrie Irving's always going to hold his spot here on the team. And I think he's always been that missing piece for the nets. I mean, that that's been their formula since the day they got Harden is that he's going to be that secondary scoring option. That's going to really take some, uh, some pressure off Durant, allow Harden to be more of a point guard. And the way he played in his first game back, you know, it's one game, but where do you put them now that we think of them as a big three again, instead of just Harden and Durant? I mean, it just, it just changes the dynamic for them so much. I mean, just the fact that he comes into the starting lineup and then you have Patty Mills coming off the bench. I think even just that small little change makes such a big difference because the scoring that Patty Mills can provide as both the starter and coming off the bench is huge. But when it's coming off the bench, it just changes everything for this team. And the secondary scoring, like you talked about, is the big thing. When when Durant is, is resting up uh, uh, at the start of the second quarter, especially is where you usually see it. It's that's where Kyrie comes in and just takes over, and he has has uh, James Harden pulling the strings, and everything just seems to come together. And why we are so scared of this Brooklyn team? It, it, it's that that trio and the way they work together. Yeah, and it, I just had to talk about his first couple of shots, like, and the reason why I said no, Russ. Like, obviously he wasn't hitting his is in the first two quarters. Are you short? But if you just look at his shot selection, it was nothing different from what he was doing like in midseason, like midseason form. Mm-hmm. Like he's pulling up for his spinning fadeaways. He's putting all his moves on the deck and really like it's just classic Kyrie Irving. And it's nothing that we haven't seen before. But if that's what they're getting from him immediately, we're not going to have to talk about, you know, Harden stepping things up and regaining that MVP season. Harden can go back to what he's consistently been great at with the Nets, which is facilitating. And, man, if if they're going to get this type of performance out of him, I, I think this brings them back into the conversation of a title favorite because it's not just Kyrie Irving right now. I think they've had a chance to really develop the identity of the rest of this team. I mean, they're even putting David Duke out there. I mean, this, this, is, a, this is a guy who's played, like, less than – 500 minutes probably in the NBA already. I mean, they have a lot of young guys that bring energy and a character to this team off the bench that I think you're going to see in a playoff series be really valuable. They, they have that energy from Bruce Brown. Nick Claxton is already starting to make some, some noise this year. As I mean, he was barely even playing at parts of the year last year. I mean, Blake Griffin and Aldridge were really starting to outshine him. But I mean, guys like him, uh, you don't even know what you're going to get still from Joe Harris if he can come back healthy. I think that this is going to be a very different conversation in a matter of weeks once we see what they're going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's just going to come down to the the fact that you're going to have to be dealing with Kyrie and likely only being available for, for three, for three playoff games or possibly four. When, when, it, when it comes to that stage, that's, that's kind of the only thing that's going to be in the back of your mind. Yeah. You want to commit to it. And it's, it's so hard to just, to not play a guy like Kyrie when he's available, but knowing that you have to have different game plans for each game, it's 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 going to be something that's it's going to be on the mind of the coaching staff. But at the same time, I think they they can make it work. But that's something that, as an outsider and not a Brooklyn Nets fan, that's something that I, that'll be annoying me. Like just knowing that he's yeah. going to get back in 
for for these for these few games, but not actually able to to be there for for the what could be uh, clutch moments for them, you know. Yeah, it's a big asterisk, but I think there's so much time between now and then that I I wouldn't be surprised if something changes. Whether that that's you know whether that's New York, whether that's the Nets, whether it's Kyrie making the decision himself, like I I feel like there's enough time for things to change still. And now that they're getting him back, and but it is a big big asterisk. I mean, you're only getting him literally 50 percent of the time, but um, I think even just that is going to be such a huge lift. But um, we'll move on from the Nets and talk about something that's been um, you know mentioned here and there, but I don't think LeBron has gotten enough MVP credit. Or maybe he hasn't for a reason. The Lakers are still pretty bad. But I think it does have to be mentioned at the age of 37 what he's doing right now. And, I mean, th- this is this is your guy. You've always been LeBron, thick and thin. And I'm guessing you're not surprised at what he's doing. But I- I'm a little surprised at how he's doing it, the, the way he's been playing. I mean, he's been, he's been a, a freaking monster. I didn't think... I think this guy is 37 everyone whether you love him or hate him just appreciate him while he's here because this guy is absolutely balling out and when he's gone we we are gonna miss him and i don't i don't care what anyone says if you're a true basketball fan you're gonna miss watching lebron james play when he's gone that's just that's just a fact but what he's doing this year i mean he's got his highest points per game average since his first stint in cleveland so that's back in 2010 he's earned 28.6 points, 7.4 boards, six and a half assists. He's shooting a solid 52% from the field, 37% from three, which is huge for a guy like him. And he's also averaging the most minutes since 2017-18 when he was just LeBron, the dominator in uh, in Cleveland, uh, dragging that team to, to the playoffs. And, I mean, the guy is just... He's been an animal. He's got the most 30-point games uh, in the league with 16. That was a bit that was a surprise to me now. But the Lakers are 20 and 19. They are sixth in the Western Conference. They're eight and a half games back on the third place uh, Utah Jazz. And it makes sense that he is not getting the MVP chatter because he is losing pretty much losing as many games as he is winning. I mean, when you basically break it down, MVP comes down to the best player on the best team. And you can kind of loosen that out to maybe kind of the top three in like each conference or something like that. But it's just interesting that a guy like LeBron is doing this at 37 and he's not getting the chatter. But when Kyrie was, or not Kyrie, sorry, when Steph Curry was putting on outrageous performances last season, Mm -hmm. And but the Warriors were struggling. Everyone was going on about why wasn't he in the MVP conversation? Mm-hmm. People were picking him over the likes of Jokic and Embiid, who were the best two players on two of the best teams in the league last year. Which was just it's just it's just such an anomaly that you see with the uh, with with the uh, guys guys like LeBron James. But all I will say is it's totally fair that he's not getting the MVP chatter, but it. Uh, it just shows the opinions that some people have uh, that watch the NBA, you know? Yeah. And I think that that narrative makes sense. And if, if people are going to be this outraged about LeBron's lack of um, discussion for the MVP, I mean, be triple as, as upset at the fact that Jokic has barely gotten any chatter there either. Um, so, I mean, as, as a reigning MVP, I mean, he's putting up 
even better numbers this year on a decimated team. So there's a lot of people left in the dust of what is ultimately somewhat of a, a narrative-based award. Like James Harden wasn't the best player in the year that, that year. It was LeBron James. He was coming to Rand. And it, I think that even Derek Rose, I, I don't dare question it, but that was a year two where LeBron honestly across the board is statistically superior. But I, I think what I have to say about LeBron right now is you, you mentioned the what, but for me, it's the how and seeing him at the center position, it's something different. And it just goes to show how LeBron James can play in any way that he wants, that the team needs, that is different. And I, and I think that when I say different, I hate when people use that just willy nilly all over Twitter. Like, is that, what does that even mean? But when I say different, like you compare him to the greats, and I don't like the discussion saying who's better or worse. I love the discussions talking about how they play differently. And I don't think any great in the top five, top 10 is as versatile as LeBron James. And you, you see him in minutes at the center and it's to see his playmaking, to see his shooting, to see his um, cutting ability and to see that at the center position, both. I mean, he, he's deciding to be engaged defensively. I mean, he can still bring it. He can still fight in the low post. And I think that that's even something that's going to get more interesting as the season goes on is if AD is not healthy, maybe that's something that Vogel ends up sticking with. I think having, having a four out system is going to give a lot more spacing than they've had with having him on the ball all the time and having Russ out in the corner, having bad shooters around him. So, so maybe there's something here that maybe there's a way out and that could be a small wrinkle and what's mostly been a disappointing system. So I don't, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Lakers because we spent enough time. I think we hear enough. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I, I do think that that's something interesting that's worth noting. And we'll, we'll see how that progresses moving on. But the real reason we want to start it off this year with unshined guys, guys who deserve more credit, is to talk about the Chicago Bulls, which we've been talking about. Hashtag Bulls are back. We've been talking about a little bit more than last year, because I think last year is a little bit of a sore subject. If you remember, Trader for Vucevic had high hopes to make the play in. Levine goes into COVID, and we end up losing our pick and not making the playoffs just the worst case scenario. And I, I think this summer was a lot of a feeling of doubt. Within the fan base and outside of the fan base, you look at guys constantly talking about whether Levine's going to go, constantly talking about Lowry Markinen. Kobe White and whether or not they have young guys who matter is Pat Williams actually is actually going to do anything with this team. Levine's probably going to leave. And then you go to the moves that they made to get all these guys in here. And this is, this is a really fun stat over the course of the year right now, 81% of the minutes this season have been played by 16 bulls that were not on the roster at the beginning of last year. There's been so much change. And to begin the season, no one is projecting them beyond 38 wins. Most was, projecting them closer to 30 wins, maybe 33 wins. And right now they're ranked fifth best offense, 10th best in defense. They are first in the Eastern conference over the nets. They've beaten twice. They're projected for 53 wins. And guess what? They are tied with the bucks for an 18% chance to make the finals, making it out of the Eastern conference. That is where the bulls are at right now. DeMar DeRozan, who apparently was a, one of the worst signings, according to John Hollinger and most other ESPN nerds, or was claimed to be one of the worst signings, 
this guy's going to get MVP votes. He's not going to win it, but he's going to get MVP votes. He just did what's never been done before, hitting two back-to-back game winners. I mean, this guy's on a roll. He should win Eastern Conference Player of the Month. I mean, I could go on and on about all these teams, but I don't think anyone saw this. I didn't see it. But this is where the Bulls are meant to be. They've proved it time and time again. This is a new year. This is new Bulls, and I don't see why there isn't more discussion about them being true contenders. Yeah, I guess it's literally just because of the fact that they, we have nothing really to go off. That's why whenever I talk to you about the Bulls, my, my first thing is I just can't wait to see how they fare in a, in a playoff series. That's that's going to be the, the, the big thing. But the way that they're going at the moment, it, it's just, it, it's unbelievable. I have to, I have to be honest with you. I mean, they're obviously first in the in the East at the moment, the 25 and 10 record. They have won eight straight since DeRozan has come back into the team. And like in a normal year, this guy would be getting a lot of a lot of MVP chatter. It's just the fact that I think it's it's only Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. They're the only Mm -hmm. two that are going to be able to win the MVP award this year. It's just that's just a simple, simple fact. But. What I'm seeing from DeRozan now is kind of similar to what I saw Kawhi Leonard do that year in Toronto. That's yeah. That's that's what, what yeah. I would compare it to. I mean, the numbers he's putting up was he's twenty-seven five, and about four and a half assists. He's shooting forty-nine percent of the field, and thirty-six percent from three, which is huge for a guy like him because he's not a he's not a three-point shooter at all, but. The back-to-back buzzer beaters against the was it the Pacers and the Wizards. I think actually just sums up his his season and how good he's playing. The winning basketball, he's he's at MVP level. I think maybe even you could argue most improved as well. I think I just love that he is shoving it down the throats of of the people that doubted him because I don't think a guy like DeRozan could ever be called the worst signing made. Uh, by a team just because he's such a talented player and such an efficient player throughout his career, the way that he ha- has been playing, even when he went to, to San Antonio, especially last season. I mean, I don't know what those guys were smoking when they, they were calling the Rosen <laughs> the worst, uh, the worst signing, but he is really shoving it down the throats of all of them. And he's been the, the lead man of bringing the bulls back. And it's, it's a fun watch. And, those, those, those guys supporting them are, are doing pretty good too. Absolutely. And and I need to stay on DeMar for a little bit because you mentioned an interesting comparison. I, I didn't think about the Kawhi Leonard comparison, but I, I think that's so true. The, the way that the way that Kawhi steadied Toronto and DeMar DeRozan perhaps has the the chance to to do the same for the Bulls. And and that that would be such an such a redemption vindication story of a guy who wasn't believed in as a lead option to bring a team deep in the playoffs into a championship. Like the fact that if you look at interviews, DeMar DeRozan recently was talking to Draymond Green on his podcast and um, just affirming how cool it would be for legacy to win in Chicago. And I think he really values that. He doesn't just value the partnership he he has with Vooch Levine and Billy Donovan and, um, and Mark Eversley and in the front office who had originally drafted him. It's not just the relationships, but the legacy that he hopes to bring Chicago is something huge. And, you know, this guy is a fiercely loyal guy. He's, he was loyal to Toronto. He didn't want to leave. And man, for him to, to choose his home and, and to do something like that in Chicago, like he recognizes how, how huge that could be. Um, yeah, man, the, the haters did not understand 
that what did the Bulls need? The Bulls needed another number one option besides Levine. They needed another guy who could get their own bucket, who could take pressure off Levine. That checks the box there. They needed a guy who was also a great playmaker. DeMar DeRozan was top five in in, um, assists last year from the wing position. Seven assists per game. They needed mid-range scoring. He's the best mid-range scorer alongside um, Durant in the league. I mean, talk about ISO scoring. Talk about the playoffs. And this is why I love that we can start talking about what the Bulls could look like in the playoffs because that's the realistic discussion now. It's not how to put this team together because they've figured it out already. They're only going to get better too. But ISO scoring, that that's the bread and butter in the playoffs, right? The Bulls are best in the league right now. DeMar DeRozan is first and Levine is fourth in ISO efficiency. And then they're fifth in half-court offense, primarily for that reason too. Like there's no reason why that fit wasn't going to work, at least on the offensive end. And the Bulls have answered it defensively. You talked about other guys. You got to say their names, man. Caruso and Lonzo Ball, they could be – I can't remember the last time that you would think of two guys prominently known for their defense – on the same team getting in uh, in a uh, All-NBA Defensive Award. That that I've never seen before. That that would be definitely a first, at least in a long time. Um, they got that on defense. They got a steal in Io DeSumo, who was, I, I want to say he was picked 38th. And he just has the looks of a guy who's going to have like a Jimmy Butler type of impact, like an early Jimmy Butler impact where he's, just going crazy on defense. He's facilitating. He's playing with energy and he plays without any sort of fear at all for a rookie. And you're getting that kind of impact that you would expect from like a veteran player and a guy who's making minimum contract. Like dude, everything's really coming together for a team that could contend, not just this year, but with flexibility for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, no, don't get me wrong. I mean, DeRozan is exceeding expectations, but I didn't expect him to get to the level that he's playing at at the yeah. moment, but I, I still expected him to be uh, a guy who was going to be scoring from the mid-range, averaging around about the either side of 20 points a game, but he's even stepping up even, even further. And and he's stepping up so much that we're almost not really even talking about Levine, who's pretty much averaging yeah. pretty much the same. He's at 26, 5, and 4. He's shooting 50% from the field and 42% from three. The guy has been... He's been just as good, and that, that's a, that's another thing you don't really talk about is the fact that DeRozan's come in and he is playing at this level, but it has not affected the output of Levine in in any way, which is such a big positive for uh, for the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, the fact that Levine is still doing the same. I mean, this this it's exactly the Chris Paul Devin Booker effect. Mm-hmm. You know, once you finally get a functional system around Levine, like his efficiency is only going to go up. And he's going to stay this same level because the shots he's getting are easier. He's getting easier shots. He can finally run around off ball. He can finally like use his athleticism as a cutter and to get, I mean, I don't think there's anyone who can catch and shoot and not be bothered by any defender in the way that a guard can. I mean, Kevin Durant does it with his, with his length, you know, and I liken it to Kyrie Irving, the amount of elevation you get on the shot. Like to see Levine really used as an off-ball weapon, like it feels. I mean, this may be ridiculous to say, but it feels at times like Clay Thompson. Like you, you get you get a similar level 
of of activity the way he can get around screens the way that he's going to be seeking out his shots and the way he's just fearless at putting up threes and he's efficient at it um and from the corner he's shooting over 50 percent from the corner i mean in a playoff series that that's going to matter that's going to be the difference between levine just being talked about as you know a ball hog and stuff like that 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 stuff is all gone because i mean you get to see him in his true form as primarily an off ball threat. And when you give him the ball, when he's got a mismatch, I mean, he's going to kill him. There's a reason why he's fourth in isolation scoring, but another guy, Kobe, Kobe white, he's starting to step up as well. We haven't seen it because of his shoulder injury because of being out for COVID, but kind of like what you want to see out of, sorry, I keep hearkening to your Knicks, but I, I just gotta, I just gotta think about it. But the, what you would wish you saw out of Emmanuel quickly, you're starting to see it from Kobe and that's that off ball Lou Williams type role where he's providing just key scoring playmaking improved, improved defense. That's the thing that I'm excited about Kobe as well. You, he can stay on the floor now with the amount of effort he's doing there. And I don't think it's any coincidence that you get, bring in guys like Crusoe and ball. And all of a sudden your young guard is playing good defense. That, that means something. Yeah, I think that's that's a, that's a often a big thing that needs to that, that that helps young players. I think they they got to rise up to a certain level. They they can come into a team and it's kind of just like you go out there and you do their best, and then in one off season that 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 whole landscape can totally change. And it's great to see that he's got that sort of mentality that he is willing and and able to to step up to the challenge that's been laid down to him after his uh, his injury troubles and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I have a big question that I've been struggling with, with them because all, all these things are great, but I think the, the last question that remains is, you know, maybe the difference between them and a true contender is just another piece. So I've been struggling with the thought of trading Pat Williams and DJ or someone else, but basically Pat Williams for either Jeremy Grant or Harrison Barnes. And from the outside perspective, I'd, I'd love to know what you think about, you know, do they do they risk the future promise that they have for Pat Williams for a current reward of a guy like Barnes or or Grant, who brings some similar things, some, some differences defensively for sure. But both of them definitely could be that added factor to pushing the Bulls, not over the edge. I don't think there's any move that pushes them over the edge, but brings them closer to contention. I I I feel like it's worth worth the risk. Uh, it's not like a guy like Jeremy Grant, especially. It's not like he's a guy that's kind of uh, at the end of his career or anything like that. Yeah. So I, I think if that's a deal that they could make, I think it it's absolutely worth it. I think as much as there's a lot of potential with with Patrick Williams, the fact that he's going to be out now and the fact that the the Bulls are really looking like a a, a legit team and it, it might be be worth taking taking a shot on a deal like uh, like that to get a guy uh, like Barnes or, or like Grant to really show their ambition and to really look to take that that, that extra step as, as quickly as they can as a team. Yeah. And I, I that's the part that I that I do agree with because Grant, he's not that old. He's he's 27. He's shown that he's improved, especially as a as a shot creator. Um He's not been terribly efficient at it, but he definitely has shown that he's able to do it and to have another guy who can create their own shot. That's, that's important, especially from the four or the five, but 
I think the thing that concerns me about Grant a little bit is the fact that he went to the Pistons for a reason. He could have gotten the same deal from the Nuggets, but he went to the Pistons because he wanted to expand his role. And, you know, that was huge for him. He, he, if Randall wasn't going as crazy as he did last year, Grant definitely could have been the most improved player. And he's not going to get that with the Bulls. Does he want that? I mean, you want a guy who's, who's buying everyone on the Bulls right now is bought completely in on the vision of what this team does. Do you bring in a guy who just signed a contract not too long ago to be the guy for the Pistons, which is funny because, you know, he's not going to be that next year. Cade Cunningham is going to be that. You know, they hope Sadiq Bay is going to grow a little bit more into that. Killian Hayes too. So, I mean, he's, he's on the outside looking in terms of future reigns of that organization. So I, I don't, I don't know if, if, if you'd be happy. Yeah. I think that, that that's an interesting one. That's obviously a, you'd, you have to, you have to find a way to talk to him before actually uh, to making the deal. But mm-hmm. I guess that's a sign. We've had him. enough tampering, Rodin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's that's a question of his mentality. If he really wants to be a winner in this league, he should want to move to a team like the Chicago Bulls, the Pistons. Regardless, if he just wants to be the 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 top scorer on a team, yes, yeah, stay stay with the Pistons. They're still going to be a few years away from really contending with the likes of. Cade and Hayes and Bay, if they all develop into the guys they think they're going to develop into. Kind of a question of ambition. If Grant is an ambitious guy, he would love a move to to the Bulls. If not, maybe look maybe have to maybe have to look elsewhere. But I think uh, the idea of, of a trade in that position, I think, it, it is a smart thought for the Bulls. Yeah. I, I like I do like Barnes more, and I think that's what it boils down to for me. I'm not sure about Grant's intent and I definitely love the fit of Barnes. He's a better three point shooter. He's a, he's an adequate interior defender. He can switch a little bit. Um, He's not as good of a defender, but I think the way he fits offensively is so seamless. His his shot selection is exactly what the Bulls need from the four position. But I think I don't like giving up on the future as well. I mean, Pat Williams, I hope will be, a Harrison Barnes in two years, I hope. And I, and I, I have bigger hopes as well. I mean, you see him in summer league, you see the flashes that he puts out there. I mean, he's, I believe he's going to be in at least an elite wing stopper and he's going to be an elite help defender. And he has enough touch to show me that he can be a good three level scorer. I don't know if he's going to be an all-star three level scorer, but I think he'll do what Harrison Barnes can do in two years. But does Harrison Barnes, win you a championship Mm. is that is that the thing that wins you a championship that's the question really that's what it comes down to yeah but it's also that element then again of trying to have the best of both worlds i mean you've got to you've got you've put together a team that are capable of making a run to playoffs they're definitely going to be in the playoffs and it's just not full not going in 110 percent on them yeah but try and what? But trying to kind of keep that guy that could, that could be the guy in, in a few years down the line. That that's another that's another element. And in reality, you'd like the from from the, the position they're in now, you'd like them to to take the shot. I think from 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 a non from a non Bulls fan, I, I'd be thinking. Yeah, I, I would, exactly. I would like I'd yeah. like them to be willing to take the shot and be and be ambitious uh, from what they've got now. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the difference, right? That's why it's hard to be a GM 
Yeah. We don't want to be in that position because they have to think not just in the now, but they have to think three years from now, five years from now. That's what the Warriors did to be where they're at. That's what so many teams have done to secure their futures. I mean, look, look at what the Nets did originally to completely screw themselves and not end up, mm-hmm. not that we're in the same position, but um, you don't want to burn all your assets in a way that we've, we've started to do a little bit with getting Vooch and also trading first round pick for, for DeRozan, the signing trade. So we're not super high on assets and this would probably, this would be like, this would be the move that that's the thing. This would be the move. And if this wasn't the move that gets us a championship, you just lost your last blue chip talent, unless you are still counting Kobe white as that. Hmm. So I think there's so much risk involved that I don't think they'll end up pulling the trigger, but if they, but if they do that, that's like, that that's going to be a tough thing to sell for, for the fans if they don't end up winning a ship because you just lost, you just lost the last move. That was, that was the last bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Tough, tough life, tough life, tough life at the top, you know? <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll think about what, what bullets you have left for the next, maybe we won't, we'll wait a little bit longer to talk. <laughs> Another team we got to talk about here. Well, we still have time. Well, I haven't burned it all yet. Cleveland Cavaliers. We haven't had a chance to talk about them enough, but you follow any power ranking in the NBA. Maybe they didn't get a lot of talk early on the season, but pretty much all of them are putting them just about outside the top 10. I mean, this is a team that was an afterthought. Right now they're 21 and 16, the plus 5.4 net rating, and they realistically could finish this year top six in the East. I just, when I look back and I think on how I viewed this team, or maybe didn't view this team enough beginning of the season. I, I can't I can't justify any of my takes. I mean, I can justify them, but they were all pretty much wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, obviously they're sixth in the East now, ahead of teams like Boston, like New York, and and well ahead of them as well. I mean, the team are third in defensive rating as well as that allowed uh, a big. Uh, big net rating and they've just really surprised everyone. I think everything's just come together in in Cleveland. Like not I don't think a single person outside of the Cavs organization thought it was thought it was going to do. I mean they've got they've got eight players averaging uh eleven and a half points or more. But now obviously they're down the likes of Sexton and now Rubio, which is a huge blow. I mean Rubio was unbelievable for them i think he has 13 points 6.6 assists averaging 1.4 steals coming off the bench like that's that's like six that's not that far off six man of the year considerations that's how good in my mind that's how good rubio was playing and he is going to be a huge blow to this team i think we even saw it just in that in that game against against memphis uh rubio could have been could have been the sort of difference maker in a tight game like that so not everything is going for them, but compared to what us and everyone else thought Cleveland was going to be this season, the Cavs are just throwing curveballs at everyone, and it's a, it's a really fun watch. Yeah, I, I think that if you were a Cavs fan, you'd probably say, I could have seen this coming. Because basically what you have here here is the best case scenario for a lot of their players. Evan Mobley coming in 
and being a statistically generate, like this isn't just a, a Homer take or, or ridiculous, like hot take, like Evan Mobley is statistically generational. There's absolutely no doubt that what he is doing statistically is generational. He's do he's having a better rookie season than Kevin Garnett, Anthony Davis. He's having a better rookie season than Jaron Jackson Jr. Who we viewed as the next big unicorn thing. Evan Mobley right now, by next year should probably be on an all defensive team right right now he's anchored as a rookie and this is this is a little like strategical niche but i mean he's anchoring a three to three two zone i mean which which for a rookie center that's they don't do that that they just do not do that and he's doing it well i mean he's leading the nba in shots and three pointers contested this is a guy who immediately is alongside jared allen turning this defense into a reliable monster remember the last last year when they had this like little run at the beginning of the season where they're the best defensive team and we're kind of laughing at it well you know fast forward a year this has become their identity which is pretty cool the, the Cavs have an identity they're not just some random team of young guys all right the young bull and this streaky shooter and Darius Garland like they are a hard-nosed defensive team that throws three bigs out there at you, both in the paint, and if one of them can score, all of them can put it on the floor. That they're they're doing this really fascinating zag while everyone's zigging, or is it zig when everyone zags? I don't know. <laughs> but having three versatile big men is kind of the antithesis of what most of the NBA has been doing, is throwing out big versatile wings. But they're finding versatile bigs and they're just throwing out insanely huge lineups that most finishers in this league can't handle. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, what they're doing this year, I think it's 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 so impressive and, and it's great that it's been such a, a they're such a good watch as well. I mean, if you're looking mm-hmm. for a team to watch, the Cavs are absolutely right up there. I mean, you got Garland, he's basically the leader, he's averaging 20 points, seven assists, around 1.3 seals. He's got a effective field goal of over 55%. And he, he's the, he's shown a huge growth in his game from last year. And then Mobley, like you mentioned, the, the quick adaptation. I think a lot of people were getting nervous about Mobley uh, coming up to the draft and worried that he was going to take that extra bit of time to, to really adapt and yeah. show his best self. And he is just shown that to the wind he has just shocked everyone with his the way he has adapted so quickly to being on an nba floor and yeah like you said generational talent this guy it's kind of scary from where he's at now to think where he could be by this time uh, next season and then you got allen 17 points 11 assists he's got two blocks one steal He's just the paint boss. He, he, he's been awesome. And then even the likes of Love, averaging 15 points off the bench, shooting 43% from three. And they were talking about buying out his yeah. contract and letting yeah. him go. And look at what he's doing for the team. He's now. happy. Yeah. He's happy right now. He can see it. The team is playing. And Love is a huge contributor to what this team is doing. And you have to think that something's going to come up to kind of throw them off. And you could argue that that's happened with the with the injury to Rubio, but everything's just coming together for Cleveland, and and it's all it's all coming up Trump at at this uh, at this time, and it's it's really cool, and you hope that it just keeps going in this direction because 
these guys could really be a real real team to talk about uh, come come next season. Yeah, and I think the reason they haven't been knocked off is because um, uh, coaching is because of identity. Bickerstaff has really infused a spirit into this team, and guys are very vocal on that team about how much they adore him and they follow him and they believe in him. Um, take notes, uh, Boston Celtics. But they're really buying into how they how they play, and that's why it's a fun watch, man. They're they're all fluid. They they know where all of them are on the court. They know when to cut. They know when to screen. They know who they're passing to. Everything feels fluid because they are buying into a system. And I, I think would be you know that that's just a on a side note that that's what we kind of look for. At least I look for in terms of system and coaching is what, what does it look like on the floor. You know, do, do people feel like they know what their role is? And I think that's so much of what NBA coaching is is letting guys enforcing what guys roles are and having them be comfortable in it and playing to their best strengths. And you're seeing that in such a crazy way with the Cavs because Evan Mobley is completely empowered. And, you know, I think a lot of coaches would start guys off slow, but like I said, defensively, the, the role he's played as an anchor and to really be vocal, you see how vocal he has in the court leading the defense um, and Jared Allen too. And he's not just, just a rim runner anymore. Like he is, become a great post player like he his his footwork has looked amazing this year and his his jump hooks his floaters his touch around the rim like they look like he's going to be this is like a next level for him and his passing has been fantastic and Darius Garland's passing as well like he not just the the shooting but you know that creativity that you saw in college I mean that's translating into something you know very special I mean the the looks he finds on the court the moves he's making, like he's, he's not a traditional type of ball handler. And he has, he has that kind of it factor when it comes to seeing moves that you, you don't traditionally see. And like, like I said earlier, this is a, everything going exactly how you wanted it to as a Cavs fan. If, if you pictured how good the season could go realistically, like this is uh, un- unbelievable. And for them to do it without Rubio, without Sexton um, and Hey, Rajon Rondo, he has a winning effect on teams. Uh, well, most teams, you know, <laughs> not all teams. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll not think about um, Sacramento or we won't think about the Mavs. Uh, we'll just think Lakers and Celtics. How about that? But I, I think Rondo actually fills in a lot of what they're missing from Rubio. He's, he's going to add both on offense and on defense, a vocal leader, a guy who knows how to game plan. He's, he's one of the, the better um, scouting players in the league. Like he knows what what people's tendencies are. And that's going to be huge for this team that is really embracing that defensive role. So I think he's going to fit in seamlessly. He's going to have a great, um, he has the potential at least to have a great uh, rest of the season here, especially with their big need for, for his position. Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah. And you hope for, for Cleveland's sake that, that Rubio going down doesn't kind of, strike a dagger to, to the, the successful season that, that they're having and that Rondo can come in and have that have that sort of impact. I mean, one thing on Garland that I'd say is one thing I, I enjoy watching about him, especially I saw it in the in the game against Memphis, is the, the fact that he's always moving and similar to, uh, to Curry. I'm not going to get any more comparisons to that, but just the fact that he is constantly on the move when he doesn't have the ball and the little hustle plays that open up uh, – certain 
things for for the Cavs is just so huge, and it's such a big development that it that I'm seeing in Garland's game this year. So who's are, are you picking yet? Because you've been you've been Team Sexton, I've been Team Garland. Have have you changed your mind yet? I have, but then at the same time, I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of thinking I I still like them as a duo, just because I still think of probably Garland as the as maybe the superior player. And uh, definitely the better the better point guard, but I also think of Sexton being the guy more capable of scoring the ball down the stretch of games, and when they really need a bucket, Sexton be the guy that stepped up. I think, especially I keep going back to the Memphis games, kind of the the big game I watched with uh, Cleveland recently, and you saw Ja score those clutch buckets and and Garland just wasn't wasn't able to do it in the last few minutes and I think that's where they missed the mm-hmm. that the 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 sexton type but yeah the way Garland's been playing I I probably will have to lean towards him if the Cavs are saying they need to make a decision yeah you're go- you're going with Garland it's just it's as simple as that but I still think yeah. There's that that part of me that 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 element of it, the scoring, the especially the clutch scoring down the stretch of games, where you you could still see value for the two of them in the in the Cleveland team. Yeah, and I, and I think to to harken back to a previous comparison that we made that hey maybe Garland and Sexton maybe their formula is Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, but I think as as this Cavs team has formed and you see the benefit of, of what Garland surrounded by versatile bigs can be. Maybe Sexton's role isn't to be Donovan Mitchell-esque. It's to be Jordan Clarkson-esque at a higher level. I, I think I think Sexton has a has a higher talent ceiling than Jordan Clarkson does. But if you know depending on the night, depending if if you if you can sacrifice size, defense, rebounding for Sexton, Sexton's willingness to, to score at will in certain game situations. I mean, that, that could be a huge role for him. And I see that. I agree with that. I just don't know if, you know, I think Sexton sees himself higher and as he should, yeah. I think most, most players of that caliber are going to see themselves as number one options, not a hyper bench score. You know, that, that could be, I mean, how long was Levine looked at as, Hey, you know, he's just going to be really good in spurts. Just, you know, he sucks at defense and everything else. So just let him score somewhere else. Maybe, maybe Sexton has a right to, to view it in that same way. And I think, you know, all these players do, but, but yeah, that, that's, that's a, a good problem to have. I mean, they have, they have talent. We'll see what they do with him at the end of the year. Um, but it, let's, let's move on to our last team here. The Memphis Grizzlies. And I just have to say to everybody, this, I told you so. They've won 14 of the last 18, man. They're looking like I, power rankings don't respect them as much, but at times I feel like they're – they feel like a top five team sometimes. They, they don't do it consistently night in, night out, but these last stretch of games, they feel like a top ten team. They they beat up on the Nets, and they, they beat them pretty pretty confidently. I don't, I don't know if your opinion of them has changed a little bit, but I, I'm hoping I'm bringing you back on board because I think that they are really poised to stay in the top four here in the West. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're in a great spot at the moment. I think to 20, 25 and 14, they're fourth in the West, and they're, they're four and a half games clear of, of the next team. And uh, 
and kind of just right on the coattails there of, of Utah in, in third place in, in, in the West. I mean, the way this team has developed and the way they're playing and doing it so consistently as well for such a young team, it's uh, it's really, really impressive. And similar to Cleveland, the Memphis have been a, another team that have just been such a great watch this year. I mean, you talk about the, the way they're winning. They've, they've won six straight and throughout the season they've had some seriously notable wins i mean they took down the taking down the clippers the lakers the warriors the suns the nets yeah i mean yep. they're doing things that competitors do and maybe they they it's a bit too early to call them a competitor but the way that they're playing is definitely of a team that are on the rise and they're if it's not this year next year they're going to be primed to be a legitimate team that we talk about similar to the likes of the Nuggets or, or, or Utah. They're a team that the Western Conference should be terrified of mm. because they're scratching the surface right now of what could be a, a five to eight year domination. And they're, they're a P, they have the assets right now. And I, I keep thinking about what that move could be, but they have enough young assets. They have enough draft capital. They have enough real uh, future and present players to put together a star package. I, I, I believe that. I think they, they could get something in return that really puts them to the top tier in terms of talent level. But with the guys they have right now, I mean, that Desmond Bain, is he, if he's not a favorite, is, is he a top three most improved candidate? Because he has been unbelievable this year for a second year player. Um, I mean, this is what happens when you draft a guy with experience from college. He's, he's not a, he's not a young sophomore. He's 23 years old, but he's playing like a legitimate, you know, that number three, number four option on a championship team. I mean, he's playing like a legit number two option on this team right now with Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant. Um, I mean, I definitely want to talk about him a little bit because he's been crazy. Well, Jazz, Jazz, the, the the man on this team, and he he has he has shown that the, that development in his game. I think from uh, from his second season to now, it's it's been a huge jump. Uh, Twenty five, six, and seven. He's also also averaging over over one point four steals a game, shooting consistently forty nine percent from the field. He's actually shooting forty percent from three, which is which is big for yep. him. That's something they really wanted to see uh, development in his game. And he's he's the leader for this game, and the way that he just does everything, you just see the the superstar future ahead for this guy. It's I don't know what level he's gonna get to, but it's it's pretty scary at the moment. And the way he just glides in the air is just it's just scary. The hang time that he gets, the leaping that he can do, his athleticism is is off the charts. And what did he improve on? He improved on his three point shooting. He improved on his in-between game and he's improved as a pick and roll ball handler. I mean, those are all things that he needed to do to fill in his game and get to that next level. And you're seeing defenders really struggle to choose right now because he's in a, he's in a hot stretch. Like you really can't let John Morant get to the, to the cup. Like he's going to score. He's one of the best Um, last year. I think he ended, he's ended in the top five in scoring efficiency in the paint. And he's probably going to do it again this year. And 
he's going to be able to get any shot he wants now that he's making that three-point shot. And he had a shot against the Nets uh, the other night where he was 35 feet out and he just pulled. And that's, that's the confidence he didn't have last year to see him pull shots like that, to confidently take shots off the dribble. And he's adding this to his arsenal at this point in his career. You said you got superstar written all over him. Desmond Bain said it, and I don't think it's crazy, but he should definitely be in the best point guard in the league conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%, I think. And if if you haven't realized it yet, come the end of this season, when he is right up there in conversations for all NBA teams and maybe even further than that, that's that's when people are finally are, – are, people who haven't already, which – I don't think there's too many who haven't realized just how good Jamarant is and and will be in the future. But by the end of this season, I think uh, I think the world will be uh, will be alive to what he's doing. I think you, you mentioned Bain earlier. I mean, the guy's he he's been awesome. He's he's shooting above forty percent. He's averaging seventeen points a game, and he's doing that alongside uh, Jared Jackson Jr., who he just has to find the consistency in his game. That's that's yeah. the that's the weak point with me, but. There's also an element that I feel like he's not really playing to what could be the strength of his game at the moment, if that makes sense. Like, I think the way that that, that Memphis is asking him to play is not what I think they'll do when this team is finally set and they really think of themselves as a contender in that, in that sort of way. I think there's different aspects of his game that they don't really look to utilize at all. They kind of look for him at as a shooter a lot when there's, when there's other elements to the game that, that I think he could, he could really strive on uh, as part of this team. Yeah. I think the thing with, with Jaron Jackson, and, and I think this conflates pretty well with our conversation about Desmond Bain is that um, Desmond Bain is like you said, shooting 50, 40, 90. And not only that, he's prolific right now as a playmaker, putting the ball in Desmond Bain's hands, like good things happen. Like the Grizzlies go on runs when Desmond Bain is doing things with the ball. And I feel like a lot of Jaron Jackson Jr.'s offensive game, it, I wouldn't say experimental at this point, but some of it kind of is. Like you, you don't have as dynamic of an offensive game if he's the one who's leading the offense. You just don't. And I, I think that's the tough part is that, you know, there's, there's scope for Jaron Jackson Jr. to do more off the dribble, for him to do more in the post. But, you know, he still doesn't have, you know, an elite handle yet on the ball. He still doesn't have an elite low post game. His footwork is still pretty fundamental. His finishes are still pretty fundamental. You see it from time to time. Like, he'll he'll have flashes of it. But what's been impressive about Bain on the other side of it is that he consistently is making amazing. Like, he's making step back threes. He's making sidestep threes. He's making mid-range shots. He's taking floaters. He's whipping the ball around. He's attacking the rim fearlessly. Like, he's doing everything that you want out of a second option kind of guy. And then when you go down the line, when Stillen Brooks comes back, I mean, he does a lot of the same stuff too. So I guess that that leads us to the question then, where does Jaron Jackson Jr. stand in this team if they're a hypothetical championship team? Like what, what's his role? Like what, what's the vision for who he is? Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of, that's where it comes down to. Do, do they view him as a traditional big or do they look at him as 
something similar to could you compare him to Anthony Davis? I don't know. I do. I do. He's a better shooter. He's a better shooter than Anthony Davis. He's not as good of a finisher. I mean, Anthony Davis is elite first and foremost for his ability to score inside. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. will get there. He can do it with his size at times, but he he doesn't have the same kind of finishing ability. So I I think that's why, I mean, they're really putting him at his strength to be a shooter because he's, he is a great three-point shooter um, and he does stretch the floor floor well, especially when you got Steven Adams out there, but that, that I don't see that as the pinnacle of what Jaron Jackson can be, I guess. Yeah. I think I'd have to agree. I think maybe even they, they're kind of, still viewing this as kind of an experimental sort of situation where they just try and let uh, John Jackson Jr. just kind of try to excel at the shooting game. And then maybe a year or two down the line when this team is more set in stone and they're they're not just the the young guns anymore, they kind of try transitioning towards more being a a natural big. I think that if, if that's the Memphis plan, Fair play. If it works out, you just got to say respect. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that um, when you look on the floor, too, is, is you got to give Stephen Adams a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been the best offensive rebounder in the league this year. And you can see why John Moran is scoring so much easier in the pick and roll. It's because Stephen Adams is, you know, you want to talk about uh, screen assist. You want to talk about Rudy Gobert in that aspect. I mean, he's one of the best if not the second best screener in the league. John Moran, you watch these sequences where Steven Adams is sometimes setting a pick and then setting another pick in the in the paint for John Moran to get an easy bucket. And he's getting so many of those. But I guess you don't have that same, you don't have that with, with uh, Jaron. You don't have that same sort of dynamic as a strong pick and roll player who's going to make the space in the same way. And if you have them both doing the same thing, then you know it's not working out. So I am really questioning what the scope is going to be with this current roster. Cause a lot's going to change, man. It, it's really interesting to me because Dylan Brooks still hasn't gotten in a, in a groove yet. Um, and you, you want to make sure that you're getting enough development time for, you know, guys like Zaire Williams, who, who I think they, they think he could have a future impact on this team too, but all the more reasons to make a trade. I mean, I, I think that's, that's the big, big X factor here isn't one of these players evolving. I, I think they could go for a more win now type of move. What's up, Bradley Beal? I haven't heard his name flood around the trade uh, in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of gone quiet on that side. Uh, but yes, things can, things can always change. I mean, we're only, we're only still in the early stages of the, uh, of the, of the trade season in the NBA. So you never know uh, what might happen. And then of course we still have, Still have plenty of time, so there's no rush for 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 Memphis to need to make a decision. But they they should definitely be a team that are aware of any potential deals around there and and are in any conversations for for a major star because they've got some unbelievable talent already in this team, and if they can add a serious All Star level player, they could really become a challenger soon. Yeah.
you. Yeah, you. You listened this far, whether you fell asleep, left your phone in the other room, or maybe you liked what you heard. So please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can get our content every week. In the Christmas spirit, we are doing a special giveaway for our day one listeners, and all you have to do is be subscribed to the pod, follow us on Twitter at CoastNBA, and Instagram at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast for a chance to win. Now, back to the pod. So this is the new year, and I think we all make resolutions. We all want to make change. We all want to do big new things. We want to right some wrongs. And um, before we talk about NBA resolutions, on that note, I think one of the coolest moments I've seen so far this year is Kevin Porter Jr. not just hitting a game winner against the Wizards, but doing it soon after being suspended by the team, leaving the locker room at, at halftime, after uh, whatever discussion was had in the locker room with Coach Silas. Um, same thing with Christian Wood refusing to come on. And Christian Wood had a team team high in points and rebounds. Kevin Porter Jr. has a tough night, is trusted to win the game and pulls through. And just the comments afterwards, it's cool to see this young team coalesce around their coach, despite what's a lot of the media is looking at as, you know, a continuation of the kind of problem child that Kevin Porter Jr. is for the Cavs thinking he's still the same for the Rockets, but some vindication for a guy that has shown he's got talent and has shown for the most part, a lot of buy-in for this organization. Yeah, definitely. I think that was, that was really, that was a big moment just for, for this, this Houston team season. And just for a guy like Kevin Porter Jr. As a whole, to be able to, to bounce back and produce that, that big sort of moment, it's kind yeah. of, it's a, it makes a, the the fans whatever fans might have been feeling about them uh, makes them forget quick and uh, jump right back on the bandwagon and if that's something that can help him kick on again it's it, it's awesome I, and you hope you hope for his sake that, it, that that's a a springboard for him to really start to show the type of player that he can be yeah yeah I believe that I'm a big believer in Kevin Porter Jr. I, I think I think he's got a future there and I I think that you know that's a good sign for for a guy who's had a lot of a lot of, I think, growing to do in this league. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of us. I think a lot of people don't have a lot of chances to to figure things out in, in their life, and he's getting some big chances, especially with the way that the Rockets have, you know, brought him in and brought in coaches specific to him and and really invested in him. So yeah, I, I hope things work out. But in talking about re- re- NBA resolutions, um, I'll stay in Houston because speaking of guys, I want to watch more this year. I got to see myself some more Alper and Shangun. That's, that's one of my main resolutions. You catch a glimpse of this guy and you're going to get a show. And sometimes I was plays him for like 12 minutes. It's pulling my hair out. Cause I feel like every time you put him on the court, something amazing happens. But now that he's been getting more time, man, you're seeing a guy, a rookie uh, amongst a lot of rookies here who no one had real expectations for, who's really showing some scope to be, maybe an all-star type guy the type of moves that he's making on the court the type of physicality he's bringing in the paint the passing the footwork it's unbelievable yeah i know you 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 talked him up to me i haven't got to see enough of him i uh, don't really get to see it see much houston you know being on the west coast there uh, 
they're even even later for me over here but uh it's in the morning yeah the way the way you've been talking about him i think he's definitely uh definitely worth a watch and uh it's like a number of the rookies this year that he's he's just uh, interesting an interesting watch that, that didn't really get much hype before being drafted like similar to to like Josh uh, Josh Giddy as well in, in yep, OKC yep. is another another example like that so it's uh, definitely a uh, definitely guy to keep an eye on and you hope that he gets the opportunity and I mean I don't see why Houston should have any excuse for not giving him a shot <laughs> Yeah, absolutely not. And that he's on the he'll he'll highlight the list of, of guys like Wagner um for for the for the Orlando Magic, who has been per 36 minutes the best rookie in this class, which is shocking to say. Um guys like Giddy, like you mentioned, but these rookies, I, I think but to to sum that resolution all up, we gotta watch more of them because I think this is gonna be one of the classes that we remember for a long time. Yeah, I think uh, just just based off basic stats uh, in their in the first half of their rookie seasons, I think yeah, that's uh, I think that's 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 an absolute given. Yeah, what what you got? Well, I've got more of a I've got more of a resolution for for a guy uh, who's playing in the NBA, not so much for myself. Twenty twenty two, Zion Williamson. Get yourself healthy, get yourself in shape, and get yourself back on a damn fucking NBA court. Come on, like it's it's just it's just getting ridiculous at this stage. You have so much talent, but at this moment you are letting it go to waste. And the fans want to see you, whether it's in New Orleans or whether it's somewhere else. Just get yourself healthy. Get yourself healthy. That was my number one. Um that that's that's a shame though. News coming out today that he's leaving the team to go to Portland to continue his uh foot rehabilitation. So just another sign that um, number one, my fantasy team is screwed, and number two, that there's really no timetable. That that's a that's a tough resolution, man. That <laughs> I'm giving him the whole know. of 2022. It doesn't have to just be this season. Okay. All right. But dude, it's crazy that we're gonna have to think about it that way. We don't know if he's actually gonna come back this season. I mean, there's a possibility he, it's it's gonna bleed into next year. And there's it's completely factual to compare his career so far to Greg Oden, which I don't want to do. I don't want to invoke that at all. But it it's it sucks that you know it's really starting to get to that point. Um, all right, I got a, I got another one. Trade Ben Simmons already. Yes, yes. Slash let Embiid contend. Embiid's having another insane year. He's been the best player in the clutch this year, um, which to my chagrin, I'd love to see the Rosen keep that. But Embiid's been unbelievable. He's got such a good framework around him. If Ben Simmons doesn't want to play there, let, let the man contend. And Maury, just, just trade him. So find, find whatever value you can. Let Embiid contend right now. The league is wide open. If the Bulls can talk about being a contender right now, the 76ers need to make a trade and, and fix the ship because they should have been a top three team in the East. Yeah, hundred percent. That that needs to happen. They need to either Maury, if it's a pride thing, I don't know what it is. Just just get it the way as well. The the, the likes of of Seth Curry and Maxi and other guys have been stepping up. Even yeah. more of a reason to to just maybe accept a, a slightly smaller package or maybe not. A, a player of like Dame's level or something like that to to get around and be. I think 
Embiid needs the chance, the best opportunity to contend. It's not going to happen with Ben Simmons. Get him out of there and get this Philly team back or back up there contending. Maybe, uh, maybe Embiid. No one's ever talked about Embiid leaving, but imagine that's the ironic ending to all of this: is you don't invest enough into Embiid, you don't do enough to, to give him a chance to win. You you missed on Butler. You missed on trading. Simmons, uh, you you missed on um, trading for Harden or someone else, and maybe Embiid leaves and all this. That, I'm sure the Celtics would, would would love to see that. Hey, if that's that 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 would really just sum up the whole process of uh, of Philadelphia that some that 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 sort of uh, that sort of turnaround uh, to this situation. One more big one I got as well as a guy that we we both love and a guy that we both thought was going to be right up there in MVP conversations this year. I'm talking Luka Doncic. That guy uh, I've avoided needs him. to get himself <laughs> in shape. He needs to be in his prime shape and really start to deliver at the top level. Gets himself in proper shape. That means less injuries, even better production. And an MVP caliber player, like he's still putting up big numbers, but you can still see he's not really at that prime level that I think a lot of us were expecting this year, even though he's still only only a young guy. But it's important for him and it's important for Dallas that he really gets gets himself in better shape. Uh, and it just uh, I think the little injuries and stuff like that is, is a big thing that's that's harming this his season so far. And you just want to see him on the floor. I think uh, I feel you've almost forgotten about Dallas and and Luca this season. After like those back to back years of those great playoff runs that ultimately weren't successful, but just seeing Luca go off yeah. and you're just like, all right, surely the next year this is going to be his year, and then this season it's going to be a complete drop off. So Luca, you gotta you gotta get you gotta get yourself going. You want to be like Dirk, you gotta step up. I, I think that they they have an interesting dynamic to figure out because if you look at how they were playing without Luca, things felt a lot fresher, even with like pulling in G league guys, relying on, on Josh green, relying on, uh, you know, Jalen Brunson, who uh, speaking of unsung people, this podcast, Jalen Brunson, I mean, bringing it, he's still one of the best. You talk about John Rand being a good finisher in the paint. You better talk about Jalen Brunson. He's been there as well. Um, but they've looked smoother with, without having this, um, ball dominating style of play that Luka Doncic brings at times and having guys share the ball more, having there be more movement has been better than what you kind of seen in the past with, with Luka kind of having a four out system, just a pick and roll, everyone stands still kind of a James Harden type of play. And I think a lot of it's a little bit adjustment from what Jason Kidd wants to do, but, Luca specifically needs to figure out how to be a better off ball player and get in shape too, to, to play defensively. Cause you know, he's got the physicality, he's got the intelligence, he knows how to get in the right position, but just having the energy for it, you can tell he doesn't at times at certain stretches. Um, look at, look at you in each quarter, you know? Yeah. And, and look at, look at Jokic. Jokic is a guy who's been maligned for his conditioning and finally got it together. And he is a great defender. He was a terrible defender two years ago, and you you look at his uh, impact numbers defensively, and he is a great defender. He's always top ten in deflections in the league, 
He's got active hands. He knows how to, and these are things he does without elite athleticism with great size, but without elite athlete athleticism, which Doncic has as well. So maybe that's the resolution too. get, get, get on defense, bring something out of that and do something besides what you've been doing. Cause clearly it's not working. Yeah. 100%. It's just weird. You don't have any next resolutions. There's nothing the next year resolve to do. It's just too bad. They, they, they don't deserve, they don't, they don't have one simple resolution to, to, to get them, to get them back on, you know, I, I want to see Barrett Kemba, and Randall get on the same page for one game, like one game, seeing them all be successful together. They've, they've all done it individually in certain games on and off, but that's what I think is going to be the greatest version of this team. If they can figure out how to synergize together, those three players, because by themselves, they can put out some great performances here and there, but they got to find a way to do it consistently together. Cause that, that would be, I think a great recipe for them to turn things around. Yeah, I mean that's that's simple as that. Basketball is is a, is a team <laughs> game, so yeah, if they can all uh, if they can all play together, let's hope the little stint in the uh, in the health and safety protocols is as as given the uh, Randall and and RJ the slap across the face that they needed, and they can really they can really get going now. Should should quickly his resolution be to take an easy layup? Yes, I think so. If, uh, if, if, the, if the, the layup is there and you don't need to make a three, just take the down layup. <laughs> I've never, I, I think even the defenders were, we're, we're talking about the, the infamous clip, uh, I believe was it from last night, the other night, where Emmanuel Cookley is yeah. right under the rim and runs back to the three-point line for what would be a buzzer beater and misses terribly. <laughs> And I think the defenders were just like, not, not even sure what to do. Like, should, should we go out there? Is he actually shooting out? Like what, what what's happening? That, that could have been the most genius shot of all time, but of course it became yet another low light of the season this year. Yeah. I think that just summed up the, the New York Knicks uh, first half of the season. Uh, that, that, uh, that, uh, that attempt. And sad to say that I, that I, that I wasn't surprised just with what the, the Knicks have been putting out uh, of late. <laughs> And I'll, I'll end on this. I want the Celtics to put together a five-game win streak. I, I still believe in the talent on this team. I still believe in the potential there. I have not seen the results and no one's seen the results. But just like so many teams we've talked about, all it takes is momentum and discovering identity. And if they, through this hard time, can figure out their identity and if they can get into a groove and they can get a win streak together, I can't remember the last time they won three straight, so let's make it five. Yeah. But that, that all it takes at, at a season like this where really anything is up for grabs, all it takes is some momentum and that spark to figure it out. And maybe we talk about the Celtics differently at the end of the season. So that, that's my big hope that there should be, there should be a great Boston Celtics team to talk about right now. And 2022, maybe we'll see it happen. Yeah. You got to remind, you got to remind everyone that, uh, that the talent is there and that you're, you're still, you're still a contender. That's a, that's a, that's a big, that's a big thing for Boston. And they really, they made the changes off the court. Now it's trying to see the impact on the court. Yep. Well, guys, thanks for joining us at the beginning of this year. Hope everyone has had a wonderful and safe holiday season. Um, jumping into this year, excited to bring you some more content. So those of you listening, thanks for sticking with us every episode through all of last year, hoping to bring you some, big new things this year but i think that's gonna about wrap us up for our first pod of 2022 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to be back. And like you said, thank you to everyone. And it's going to be a big year, 2022, for Coast to Coast. And make sure you stick with us. Peace. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.